Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. The first two years of Risk episodes, the ones from October 2009 to October 2011, were behind a paywall for a while. So now, every other Thursday, we're rerunning them for free. We ask that you keep the historical context in mind. Today, in 2021, there's a different consciousness. We've always asked storytellers to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible, and yet to tell their stories with as much compassion as possible. Even so, I'm sure the storytellers and the host might have worded some of what they said on these old episodes differently if they'd been recorded more recently. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, the 22nd episode of Risk ever to be heard, it premiered in July of 2010, and it's called Heroes. I drink my milk and I don't check no expiration date And I show up to the airport about the time they board the plane And when I'm in a rush I park in the handicapped space I use a public restroom and never wash my hands Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, that was Alec Gross up top, and this is Jeannie and Carolyn behind me now. What is the theme for today? The theme for today is heroes. All these people you're about to hear speaking from out of their mouths are going to put together word strings that can somehow be associated with heroes. And first up is a hilarious man with a hilarious album that just came out on iTunes called Come Clean. This is Matt McCarthy with a little something we call Ram Tough. My name is Matt McCarthy. I was the Fordham University mascot. Anybody else? I was so for two years at the turn of the millennium. I was the mascot at Fordham University. It's a beautiful uh, old uh, university up in the Bronx. It's classic. It's, it's startling that it's even in the Bronx. It's, it's the perfect little triangle in the Bronx of respectability. It's Fordham University, the Botanical Gardens, and then the Bronx Zoo. And then everything else is up for grabs. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of fun there, Fordham University, a very beautiful campus. It's featured in a lot of films because it has that classic university look. 
It's in uh, Quiz Show and uh, Beautiful Minds and The Exorcist. <laughs> um, and they have black squirrels, black squirrels on Fordham's campus. Has anyone ever seen that? A squirrel with jet black fur? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could have given me a heads up. <laughs> anyway, I was the mascot and uh, Fordham is a very old school and it wasn't always, uh, the, the, the mascot is the ram. And uh, it wasn't always a six foot, you know, furry ram costume, which is what I inherited. It, it used to be an honest to God, live ram that I guess they kept in a cage or in a dorm room or something, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> what happened was, apparently, because uh, Fordham, uh, the name uh, at football games or whatever, whatever they played back then, P-Knuckle, they would, the, the students, who were pro all dead now, all dead, no doubt, the kids who came up with this, Morta, uh, they would go, at the games, this was their cheer that they come up with. One damn, two damn, three damn, four damn! Which, right? Like back at the beginning of, you know, in the 1900s, or that probably in the 1800s when they were doing it. At, at any rate, this would, would have been the equivalent of going, you know, like, one fuck, two cunt, three fuck, four, Fordham! <laughs> So they, I guess, in their infinite wisdom, the, uh, the Jesuit priests who run the school uh, 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 changed it to ram. So one ram, two ram, three ram, fucking lame. Uh, and hence the mascot was born. So at any rate, they used to have a real honest-to-God live ram as the mascot, as you know they used to back in the day. And uh, the main rivalry at Fordham University is betwixt Fordham University and Manhattan College. Anybody go to Manhattan College? The Fighting Jaspers? <laughs> Fucking the Fighting Twigs. Because when I was the mascot, I would always wear a Fordham University shirt and on the back I would write something disparaging about the other team. And when we played Manhattan, I would write, what the heck is a Jasper? And, like, and it, they wouldn't go nuts, because like old guys who still live in the Bronx, they would lose their minds to be like, it's a leaf! <laughs> like one time we played St. Bonaventure and I wrote on the back of the shirt, Bonaventure was a lousy saint. Yeah. Like steam out of the ears. So what happened once is apparently back in the day, back when they had the live Ram mascot, some wily Manhattan Jaspers broke onto Fordham University's campus, snuck into where they were keeping uh, the animal, and they painted, they painted the Ram's balls green. <laughs> is this not the most amazing prank you've ever heard of? And I went to Fordham, they basically painted my balls green. Uh, but yeah, and then someone had to, you know, that the game <laughs> get the ram, and then realize, like, someone noticed this at some point, <laughs> and then you realize what he had to do to notice it. He had to be looking at the ram's balls. Um, but no one ever tried to do that to me when I was mascot, which is bullshit. Um, it didn't take much to get the position of mascot. It really, really, no one gave a shit. It was me and two other guys. Uh, one guy sh saw a sign that morning. So I go and I, you know, just, I've been naturally funny. I was born funny. Fuck it. I'm fucking, I'm so goddamn funny, you guys. And so I go up and they put that, the ram head on and I'm fucking dancing and doing all sorts of shit. And I'm sober, sober, you know, fucking doing really good. And uh, then the, 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 I got the job. And the, uh, the Ram before me, Bill Graham, he had been Ram for four years. He started halfway through his freshman year. And they designed the Ram suit for him. He's a fucking full foot shorter than me and about 75 pounds lighter. And so then, the, got, you know, oh, beautiful, wonderful, caring for university. Fuck you. They don't give a shit. Are you, that's gross, what I just did, okay? And it, and it expresses how I feel about that place. I went there, I had four best years of my life. But fuck that fucking school. 
bunch of Catholic priests run it, Jesuit priests, that's the name of the order, but it's not a Catholic school. So then that way they can get money from the city. Fuck you guys. And then they fucking, the doubles that we lived in freshman year are now triples. Like, ah, money, money, money. Fuck you guys. So then I'm the mascot. I represent the school. I am the living embodiment of Fordham University. What do I get? Dick. I get the fucking old Ram costume that's designed for a guy much smaller than me. My first job as the Ram freshman move-in day, right? I'm a junior, they're a freshman, they're in a parking lot, I'm in a Ram costume, I'm in the athletic department looking for the fucking locker where they keep the mascot outfit. I find it, guess what? It's sitting there still damp with sweat from fucking May. It's September 1. So then I got to put this thing on. And you know how when you put on something that's been soaking in sweat for three months, you can feel the salt crystals. You know what I mean? So this literally, no joke, no hyperbole at all. It took me a full half hour to figure out how to put it on and get it on. Because there's like this weird little girdle underneath, you know, to make the ram look big. Because the last guy was a fucking tiny little shit. I didn't need it at all, at all. I put it on and I'm like, oh great. Now I have a bulletproof vest full of sweat. <laughs> so I go out in the parking lot, black tar, 96 degrees, you know, on paper. God knows what the fucking tar was. And God, I, I sweat. This was the advice Bill Graham gave me. He goes, I go, am I gonna sweat a lot? He goes, <laughs> The problem isn't sweating. The problem is when you stop sweating. <laughs> so uh, it gets, I, most the, I, I make it through most of the afternoon. I'm like, going up to car, you know. It gets to the point I can't even lift my arm up anymore to wave greetings in hello. I'm just moving one finger, which you have no idea how difficult it was. Uh, so then that was fun. That was day one. I <laughs> uh, come to find out why the uh, thing was still covered in sweat because the athletic uh, director was an asshole and he didn't want to clean up the goddamn suit. I got every uniform of every athlete on every team of the school to clean and then you. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry that I fucking hired you for this shitty job. <sighs> what are you guys, his kids? That's a, <laughs> um, so here's what happened. The first and only away football game I ever went to at Fordham University was at Columbia University. Anyone go to Columbia? Anybody? Huh? Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, so I'm the fucking mascot. We're fucking standing there. And all of a sudden, I see 12 to 16 Columbia students walking from the Columbia side over the Fordham University side. And me, being the keen observer that I am, I think, trouble's a brewing. So I start inching closer. There's a big track around the field. I cross the track onto the grass where it's pretty official business if you're standing on the lawn. You know, there's security guards, there's football players, there's, you know, you know wheelers and dealers. You know, the, the common folk are on the other side of the track watching, spectators. You know, no offense, I know that you're the audience. <laughs> they start screaming, hey, Ram! Hey, Ram, come on over here. We just want to talk to you. This is what they say. They go, we just want to talk <laughs> So I, I, I'm like, I just kind of blow them off. Out of nowhere, I get bum rushed by all of them. And they, try, they tried to pick me up and steal me. <laughs> And I assumed to bring me to the other side and be like, we got the ram. They can't. <laughs> the outfit's very deceptive. It looks like the guy's about a foot shorter and 75 pounds lighter, which I am not. Yeah, I, I'll never forget this. If I, I could live to be 100, I will never forget these words. The one genius who wraps his arms around me from behind and he goes, oh, he's heavy. <laughs> Then, and you can't really see in this thing, like you can kind of see out of the eyes, but they're useless. And you can kind of see out of the snout and like where the mouth is, like it's a weird, like, like very thin hourglass type thing. Imagine it. 
I can't see anything, but I'm furious. So I start swinging fucking haymakers. Like I want to make contact with something, with someone. But I also don't want to get stolen. So I start dead waiting, you know, just like falling to the ground, like really making it difficult for me, like kicking and shit. But I'm all padded and furry. So even when I'm like, ah, foam kicks, foam kicks. So then they think, aha, we'll steal his head. I came to find out later that these guys in their suite had a collection of nine different mascot heads that they had stolen from fucking dumb mascots. (laughs) Not Mrs. McCarthy's baby boy. (laughs) Chin strap. Didn't go nowhere. And I felt them tugging on it. I remember thinking, oh, I'm so happy. By this point, I'm on the ground and I'm just like looking for anything. And there's just skirmishes and scuffling and I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, like I, like, I see knees. And I think, ooh, those will be fun to punch. And right as I'm about to, I hear, whoa, 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 McCarthy, 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 it's me, it's me, it's me. My heroes, who had saved me at my lowest, (laughs) the male cheerleaders and the band. (laughs) The most (laughs) emasculating rescue team (laughs) one could imagine. But I was most grateful, And, and it was. And, and Fordham lost, Fordham lost that day, which was wonderful. The victory bell is rusted shut. But here's the, here's the greatest thing in the world. When I was the mascot, the, that was the worst time. The best time ever was uh, we were at MSG. We played against St. John's, the basketball team. They won, it was unbelievable. I laid down in the middle of the floor at MSG. I looked at that iconic ceiling. I remember thinking, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. And I was on that night. I was dancing, I was moving, I was shaking. I was shaking. And so I go backstage, and of course, you know, fucking nothing. I'm, nobody respects a mascot. I'm in just a custodian's, like, like, like where they dump the scum buckets. That's what I'm like. I'm like, hey, fresh water, yay, ah, something. And as I'm standing there trying to delouse a uh, Hispanic, a Hispanic uh, custodian worker sees me, and I mention that for a very specific reason because he says to me, he goes, "That was you dancing in that ram costume." Damn, you dance so good, I figured you were a black kid. (laughs) And he's a neutral party, so he can say that. So thank you very much. My name is Matt McCarthy. This is Risk. Folks, if you look up Fordham Ram on YouTube, you can see Matt McCarthy wearing that mascot costume and molesting Rudy Giuliani. Well, a lot of you guys have written in to say, more Elna Baker, please, and we hear ya. We call Elna's piece here, Dog Days, and it doesn't start later. It starts right now. I'm a creative type living in New York City, and I feel like when you live in New York, it's almost like the whole planet is covered in water, and there are only two options, a little dot that's New York City and a little dot that's Los Angeles, and that's where you can live. And uh, the appeal to Los Angeles is that like, you, know, you can have a better standard of living. You can have a house, a yard, a car, maybe a family, a dog. Uh, so when I, a year ago, got the chance to have a potential TV development deal, 
I jumped at the chance to have, you know, like a, a better life. I was all excited about it. I got an apartment in LA, a friend lent me a car. Uh, I moved out there and I was also working on my book at the time. And uh, in New York, I would spend all day alone, but it was okay, because like you'd walk outside and there'd be people everywhere. But in Los Angeles, uh, for the first few weeks, I would spend all day alone, and I was alone. Like all the time, I was just alone. That meant I spent a lot more time on Facebook. Um, so one night I was on Facebook and I saw this picture of what I thought was a posting my friend had put up of her dog. She has this white pit bull named Puma who's like my favorite dog. And I've always wanted a white pit bull. So anyway, I click on the picture and it wasn't Puma. It was a dog that happened to be living in Los Angeles that um, was going to be put to sleep the following day unless someone adopted it. And it was a white pit bull. It, was, it had aggressive tendencies. <laughs> um, and it was deaf, right? <laughs> so all signs pointed to bad idea. But the face, the, little, the face, I looked at it and I was like, I have to do this. I'm going to go and I'm going to save that dog. So I called him. I told him I was going to come in. And I drove down there the next day. And there were all these like, you know, crates with dogs. All the dogs seemed really happy. And it took them a while to bring out my dog because my dog was kept in the box. <laughs> and they bring out this animal and I immediately understood why the picture was of its face because it was much bigger than I ever thought it would be. Um, it was emaciated, it had mange, and it was, um, it was just like, it was more like, you know when you see hyenas move? Where they're just wild animals. <laughs> this, was, this animal had been living on the streets its entire life. So they brought her into a kennel with me. And I was hoping we would have that, like, you know, where the red fern grows moment, you know, <laughs> like bond, connect. But instead, the dog was just pacing back and forth and jumping everywhere and wouldn't look at me. And then they said, uh, are you sure you want to do this? And I, I mean, in the pit of my stomach, I was like, no, no, I do not. I do not want to do this. Uh, but I said yes. And I brought the dog home. And in New York, I used to watch friends' dogs, and I would go to the dog run, because you can meet guys, right? And I was like, OK, this is great. I have this new dog. I'll go to the dog run in LA. I'll, I'll meet guys. So that night, I, I took a Daisy, uh, which, by the way, is the worst name for a dog that will potentially kill you. <laughs> um, I took Daisy to the dog run, and they had told me that she was dog friendly. So I open the gate, you know, happily. I, I take her off the leash, and she just starts running, you know? And, and I'm like smiling from ear to ear, because I'm like, oh, she's free, she's happy. And then I realize, no, she's heading straight towards that puppy. Oh my god. And I just started running as fast as I could. And I got there just as she put her jaw around the puppy's head. And uh, I grabbed her jaw and I ripped it open. And the puppy thought that the dog was playing with it. It was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Jumping around her and she kept trying to get it. And I grabbed her and then the puppy started running and she dragged me uh, probably about 15 feet across gravel. I got cuts, I got my mouth, or her mouth cut through my hand. Finally I got hold of her, I put the leash on, I stood up and there were all these people just looking at me. And I thought it would be like, oh my God, are you okay? But instead it was that dog run like, <laughs> Get control of your animal, miss. So um, I put her in the car and I, I uh, started driving home. And the whole way home, I just cried and cried. Not just because of the dog, but because the dog was suddenly becoming this like analogy for my life in LA. Like the TV development deal was falling through. The car that I had, I had to give back to a friend, and my parents lent me their minivan, which was like, had like a leather bra across the headlights, you know, like soccer mom flair. And um, I took a job babysitting, and so I would have these car seats like permanently installed, three car seats permanently installed in the back of this van, so that um, I remember I'd be stuck in traffic and look in the rearview mirror and think like, you know, I, I grew up Mormon. And so in spite of all the choices that I'd made to be like a different kind of Mormon, I'm 27, I'm driving a minivan, and like the ghosts of my unborn children are just like watching me. Um, so I get home with Daisy, and that first night was the worst night. I mean, she, uh, she paced back and forth the apartment and uh, barked and jumped, and finally I just fell asleep. And I woke up at like five in the morning because I felt like someone was watching me. And I woke up and the dog, her paws were on, like pinned on either side of me and her face was just looking down at me. And I had that thought where I was like, oh my God, 
what if I'm the, am I the girl? Like the girl who got eaten by a pit bull? <laughs> like you read those stories in papers and you're like, I, I was just trying to be a nice person. Um, and I looked at her in the eyes and she looked back at me and after a little bit she settled and she turned over and fell asleep next to me. And uh, the next morning there was a knock at my door and it was my neighbor who had been kept up all night by the dog and she told me she called the landlord and they were going to try to evict me. And I did what any girl would do in this moment. And I've never done this before. I fainted. <laughs> Which like, I guess like if, you're, if your boyfriend and you get in a fight and you cry, I, I guess in my head I was like, neighbor, faint. <laughs> and um, then like she helped me up and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what just happened. Um, I'll, I'll take care of this. So I called the shelter and I told them I wanted to bring the dog back. And they said, well, if you know, you know, if you bring that dog back, we'll, we'll have to put it to sleep. And I was like, oh God, Daisy, get in the car. <laughs> so we drove back to the shelter and I got there and I was sat in that parking lot for at least half an hour. And I was like, I can't, I can't be responsible for that. Um, so I turned to my dog and I, I said, you know, I am the only option you have. So like, you need to straighten up. And the deaf dog was like, <laughs> um, so, uh, so I drove back home and I went to my neighbors and you know, I said to her, like, look, they're gonna put the dog to sleep if I don't save it. So please, can I put her on Pet Finder until I find an owner, can I keep her here? And she said yes. And then she said, you know, I'm sorry. I feel like we got off to the wrong foot. I don't know, even know anything about you. You know, what do you do for a living? And I said, I was like, oh, I'm working on a book for Penguin. And she was like, oh, you are an animal lover. <laughs> huh? She's like, tell me something about penguins. And I was like, oh, and I didn't, we were already not, it wasn't going well already, so I didn't want to be condescending and be like, Penguin is a publishing company. So instead I was like, uh, Penguin's mate for life. <laughs> and then the rest of the time that I lived there, anytime I saw her in the hallway, she'd be like, tell me something else about penguins. So I Wikipedia'd them and I would be like, penguins swim 15 miles an hour. <laughs> um, so, uh, my experience with Daisy the dog, it never got easy, uh, but you learn how to work with a dog like that. With an aggressive pit bull, you can't uh, train them, or it's very hard to train them to um, not be aggressive, because the only way to do that is to get the dog to listen to their owner's voice, and that's what'll snap them out of it. But if your dog is deaf, you don't have a choice. There's, there's nothing that'll snap her out of it. So I became like a CIA agent when I walked the streets. I just had to be aware of everything. And if I saw a cat, we would go another way. If I saw a jogger, we would go another way. And then, you know, the more time I spent with this dog, you notice the quirks. Like every morning when she woke up, she would jump off the bed and go to the window. And it was like <sighs> the loudest sort of breathing in of the world because her nose was everything to her. Uh, and uh, she loved how I smelled. Like she, uh, if I couldn't find her, she would be uh, nestled in my laundry basket, sort of mixed into my clothes. And like anything that loves how your like gross smells, <laughs> you keep that. Um, or my favorite was like if you were walking her down the street and there was like a dog barking to the side, but she didn't see it, she would just keep going. And the dog would be like, rrr, rrr. <laughs> or like the worst is when you like leave your apartment and uh, you realize you've forgotten something, you've already done the whole say goodbye to your dog thing, you have to come back and you know say hi and all that again. But with Daisy, it was never a problem because I would leave and then, oh, I forgot something, come back. And she would be perched at the window looking for me and I could walk around the apartment, grab stuff. <laughs> she was like oblivious. Uh, but there were also problems. She One, one day I came home from working and I um, opened the door and there was a blood smear across the whole hallway wall. And then there was blood drops, and I was like, felt like I was in a murder scene. And I got to the office, and the window had been smashed through. There was glass and blood everywhere. And I walked into my bedroom, and she was sitting on my bed with blood all over her face. And she was like, <laughs> and I guess like she had seen a cat through the window and smashed her face through it. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's just just not a good idea. And so, uh, in the midst of this, you know, I had still thought, can I keep this dog? Can I not? And then I got this email from Pet Finder. And it was from a 15-year-old girl. And she said she saw a picture of the Daisy and she was, fell in love and she'd always wanted a dog. Her parents weren't too happy about the idea, but she, you know, she would be great. She'd take him on walks. Uh, her neighbors had little Yorkies. I'm sure they'll get along. Like I was reading all of this and, and I was like, oh, this is a bad idea for her. 
But I also thought, but it's a kind of a good idea for me. <laughs> so I wrote her back and said, yeah, you know, uh, I could, you know, bring Daisy to your house or, you know, your parents okay with it. And, and so we set up this adoption agreement. That morning, you know, I packed Daisy's bag, all her toys, treats, everything I'd accumulated. I got her into the car and the same thing happened again. I realized I was like, I can't, this is my, this is my dog. I love this dog. And she is so much more work than I ever thought possible, but she's my dog and I can't give her away. So I sent an email to that girl and I said, you know, changed my mind. After that, it was just great, you know, like you finally choose or accept this thing and then you get in a flow of it and it's your dog and you're happy. And in the midst of that, um, it had been six months to the day that I'd adopted her and we were on a walk and she saw something across the street and so she lunged for it and her, her choke collar broke. And I went to grab her and she thought I was playing with her, so she did that like jump, jump back thing. And as she jumped back, a uh, Suburban hit her right in the head. And it was probably going like 30, 40 miles an hour. And then it kept going. And she uh, stumbled towards me and landed in my arms. Uh, and I remember I was like, no, 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 you're okay, it's okay. And she started to seizure. And I just started crying. I was like, come back to me, come back to me. And I started screaming. I was like, help, somebody help me. And no one stopped. I mean, and, and this was to me Los Angeles. <laughs> like, I was on the street for five minutes holding this dog, crying for help, and no one came. And then uh, I said, just come back. And I remember she did. She, like, came back. And she looked at me. And then she died. I, uh, you know, his neighbors finally realized they came out and, you know, surrounded me. And I, I called my brother, who was visiting that weekend. And this may seem like a side note, but two days earlier, my brother and his girlfriend had gone to dinner and they gotten a really nice pizza, like an expensive pizza somewhere. And the next day, he left it out on the counter and it was like half a pizza. And I'm always like on a diet, so I was like, don't eat that pizza. <laughs> but I kept picking at it. And by like six o'clock that night, I opened the box and it was empty. <sighs> so then, for no real reason, I mangled the box a little. <laughs> and then when it got home, uh, I was like, hey, was there pizza in that box? <laughs> and he was like, uh, yeah, why? And I was like, oh, no wonder Daisy's so happy. <laughs> He's like, your dog ate my pizza? And I was like, yeah, you shouldn't have left it out. So my brother pulls up, gets out of the car, he immediately runs over, he wraps his arms around me, and the first thing he says is, it's okay, Alma, at least for her last meal, she had pizza. <laughs> and I, through tears, I was like, uh, I ate the pizza. <laughs> um, and then, you know, eventually it, it, we called a truck to come to take her to be cremated. And, and I remember as they were picking her body up to put her in the back of the truck uh, and drive away, I said, wait, wait, stop. And I ran as fast as I could up the stairs to my laundry basket and just grabbed a handful of dirty clothes. And I ran back and I put it on the dog and I said, you know, can you, can you cremate her with this, you know, so that she, she's with me. Um, and then I went to sleep that night alone and I woke up the next morning and there was nothing like, no big sniff. And I realized, you know, for all the hard work that this dog had been, this was my LA, this was my friend, this was the thing that it mattered I came home to. And that night I had a second date with someone, which I should have canceled, let's be fair. <laughs> but I went and uh, midway through the date he happened to say, you know, how is your, uh, how's your dog? And I was like, oh, um, I, Actually, she, you know, she got hit by a car yesterday. And he said, um, he was like, oh no, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll be okay. I think like the experience, um, it was weird. And it was really weird. After she got hit, I was crying and neighbors eventually came out and I've never completely lost self-awareness like that, where I was literally crying out loud. I, I kept saying, I just want my doggy back, which is like the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> and I lost all my inhibitions. I just sobbed. And I told him this, and he was like, I know exactly what you mean. And I was like, oh, did you, did you lose a pet? 
And he's like, no, no, but um, I was doing this acting intensive recently, and they brought in Meryl Streep's coach, and she was just, the whole scene, she was just writing me, you know, pushing me, pushing me. She's saying, you know, you're not authentic. You're not authentic. And finally, I just broke, and I sobbed in front of the whole class. And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. That is a lot like having your dog die in your arms. <laughs> um, and that was the moment. And I left that date and I went home and I bought a ticket on the next flight back to New York City. And I've been here ever since. Thank you. Well, some people think I'm damaged Cause I'm always on my own But just because the lights are out Don't mean you're not at home And they say when you're psychotic That you never walk alone I'm just a three-legged dog on the road And everybody thinks that I'm unfriendly Just because I can't recall their names But all the faces and the places Just begin to look the same You haven't got the kind of time it takes To play those kind of games When you're a three-legged dog on the run No, I may not be good looking But I'm a killer in the dark And girl, you know my fight is so much better than my bark So if you need a friend tonight Why don't you come find me in the park I'm a three-legged dog on the run That was Firewater with a song called Three-Legged Dog. Next up is the amazing Victor Varnado. If you've never seen the awkward comedy show on Comedy Central, you're missing out. Victor headlines it, and it's full of great comedians. Here's Victor at the Risk Show. This is called The Cheese-Eating Surrender Monkey. Uh, so, the real problem with me as a person is that I have a very skewed and irrational sense of justice. A really murky idea about what is right and wrong. So here is what I want to tell you about. I have this friend of mine, her name is Micah. She's my very best friend in the world. Uh, she's just one of my very best friends. We interlock like people don't get a chance to ever. I love her very, very much. But before we were best friends, we thought we should be boyfriend and girlfriend. That's how we met. And it was horrible. <laughs> we were horrible for each other. We fought all the time. We knew that we loved something about each other, but it wasn't romantic. So we broke up many, many times. And then we continued to hang out because we felt like the universe wanted us to be together. So we stayed together. The problem with hanging out with somebody you were just dating, like the next day, is that you always get in situations like where they're talking to someone of the opposite sex and you have to pretend like it doesn't bother you. You know, like you're, they're talking to somebody and you're just saying, oh, that's great, nice to meet you, but really you want to be like jealous Italian boyfriend, like don't look at him, look at the floor. Put this back on your head. So we were hanging out, me and Micah, after we had broken up. It was very rocky, we were bickering a lot. We were hanging out with my friend Jackie. My friend Jackie, awesome, awesome woman. She uh, is like a Cuban Betty Page, like very curvy, dark black hair, red lipstick. She's a connoisseur of the arts. She travels to third world countries and teaches the indigenous people how to make their own films to show their own story. And she can drink and fight, awesome. She's got everything. She uh, knows all the coolest places, and she was hanging out with us, and she was getting tired of us bickering, so she wanted to take us to a place that was more entertaining than uh, we were entertained by fighting with one another. So she took us to this place called the Mars Bar on the Lower East Side. 
If you haven't been to the Mars Bar, it is just like one of the last punk rock holdouts in the city. It's just the dirtiest, skankiest bar you could possibly go to. I have gone to that bar and seen somebody who I was sure was dead. <laughs> Nobody was doing anything about it. But there was a dead guy on the floor. He wasn't dead, okay. But we thought he was for a long time before anybody. I've gone to the bathroom at the Mars Bar and seen it smeared in human shit. Like, not like an accident, but somebody had to physically go in with their hands and paint the walls. Then I took a picture of it and tagged a lot of my friends with the shit on Facebook. <laughs> totally different story. She's like, everything is crazy at the Mars bar. There's always crazy stuff happening. Let's go to the Mars bar. We'll have a good time. So me, Micah, and Jackie go into the Mars bar, and we're like, okay, we're going to have a good time. We'll see what crazy thing is happening at the Mars bar. Uh, Jackie goes to the bathroom. Micah sits at the bar. A six foot four French guy, drunk off of his ass, sits at the bar next to Micah and immediately starts to trying to have sex with her in front of me. Like that's what he wants to do. And he's like, I mean, he's, he's French and he's, so he's got that accent working for him, however he's drunk. And I think that when you're a drunk, if you have a sexy accent, it turns into a killer's accent. <laughs> So like it starts like where you're like, oh, hello, beautiful woman. But then when you're drunk, it's like, hello, beautiful woman. <laughs> Micah wanted nothing to do with him. So I step up and I'm like, hey, you want me to talk to this guy for you? Because that's what I want to do. I wanted to just end his night. I wanted to like hit him into space. And she was just like, no, leave me alone, because she was more interested in pissing me off than she was in saving herself from sexual harassment. <laughs> Luckily for me, this guy was an asshole, so here's what he did. What he did was he kept drinking and kept staring at her and trying to grab onto her, and there's nowhere else for her to go, so eventually the bartender cut him off. All right, this guy, the French guy, is like, you can't cut me off. And the bartender's like, I'm sorry, dude, you're cut off. So he takes a swing at the bartender. Now, this is a punk rock bar, but the bartender is not like the cool punk rock guy, because there's like a scale of punk rock guys. There's like the big punk rock guys who look like they bite the head off of rats. And then there's the little ones who write poetry and set it to horrible music. That is what the bartender was, the tiny punk rock guy. He backs up, doesn't get hit. His girlfriend is there. She is an NYU professor uh, for English who hangs out at a punk rock bar. Uh, so that means that she's extremely educated but has a very dark side to her, which made her attack the French guy and claw at his face. <laughs> French guy grabs her by the face. He's 6'4 and just pushes her, just launches her over her stool. And finally, I have my cue, like, oh, it's okay, I don't need Micah's permission to jump in anymore. I'm gonna go fight this six foot four French guy. I was also drunk. <laughs> Here's something you don't know about me. Uh, when I was growing up, I was still a black albino, like I am now. <laughs> and kids used to tease me all the time because that's what they do, and they didn't even know me. They didn't know like, the, what the difference was, but they're like, oh, we know you're different somehow, and we're gonna make you feel bad. They would tease me, and eventually I got pissed off, and I joined the wrestling team, became a varsity wrestler, took Taekwondo, got a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. I can fight. I'm small, so I specialize in fighting big guys. <laughs> Who I put into two categories. Big guys and big fat guys. <laughs> if you're gonna fight a big fat guy, the way you can fight, well, if you're in an enclosed space, you're gonna lose against a big fat guy because in an enclosed space with a big fat guy, what happens is he traps you against the wall and he crushes you until he hears something snap you're gonna lose. But in a open space against a big fat guy, all you have to do is walk quickly backwards. 
and keep hitting him and he gets angry and keeps coming after you, he's starting to lose his wind and if he tries to rush you, you sidestep and let him hurt himself. That's how you fight a big fat guy. This French guy was just a big guy. Six foot four, big guy. This is how I fought the French guy. I grabbed him around the middle and I started to kick at his feet to trip him in the direction of the door. So I kept him off balance and he was just grabbing at the bar. He grabbed Micah's uh, shirt. She was wearing like a tank top with a bra and like totally pulled her boob out because he was about to fall and he was grabbing on anything. And so there she was with the boob revealed. Me fighting the French guy. Another drunk guy tries to jump into the fight and help. The French guy shrugs and just throws him off. It's just a tiny drunk guy and he hits his head and you know how every once in a while a drunk guy has a perfect line. He hits his head on the cement and he goes, ah, man down. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> Fight this French guy, beat him down to the ground. He's on the sidewalk. I'm like, I win. I go back in the bar and everybody's like, yay, you defended her honor. You got him out of the bar. You protected everybody. And they're like, he's the coolest guy. And I'm just like, I'm so glad I got to hit him. <laughs> I felt bad. After about 15 minutes and I go back out, the guy's still there sitting on the sidewalk, this French guy, and he looks disoriented. Uh, he's obviously uh, had a couple of blows to the face. And I say to him, man, are you all right? And he says, eh, some guy beat me up. <laughs> he had no memory that it was me. Guilt averted. <laughs> so I said to him, yeah, that's too bad. Can I take a picture with you? <laughs> Which I did. So since I had no guilt about the fight, I thought it was okay to take a picture with the French guy. I was going to bring a copy of the picture, but I don't have one. Uh, I didn't bring a printed copy, but I have it on my phone. So like after the show, if you guys want to see it, I will show you <laughs> the picture of me with the French guy. And the, the thing is, I'm trying to tell this story to help define for you my sense of justice, but I guess it's not really for me to decide. In the end, it's up to you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
the Creelers with a song called Just a Hero. Now, this is Thick Business behind me now, and next we have Lee Camp. Now, Lee never really set out to be a hero in the story you're about to hear, but some say he became one. We report, you decide. This is Going to the Festival. I'm going to talk about the one, I think it's the only time I've ever been called a hero, and I'll let you decide whether it was, uh, whether I was actually acted as a hero or just a douchebag who wouldn't shut his mouth. But uh, I, I was invited, this was, this was 2008, it was uh, like six months before the presidential election between, I think it was Obama and McCain. And uh, I was invited, <laughs> I was invited on, well, out of the blue, like, someone at Fox News calls and they want to have me on to tell, like, jokes on their morning show because they want a left-wing person on and a right-wing person on. You can probably guess I'm the crazy lefty. So, so they wanted to have me on, and, you know, my thir- first thought is like, fucking burn in hell, you assholes! But, but then I was like, no, yeah, sure, I'll go on. And, uh... Because I figured I could, like, you know, use this in some way. I didn't have any real uh, desire to be, like, their monkey boy on their little Saturday morning show or whatever. And I didn't really know what I was going to say, but I felt like I should say something, you know, to speak my mind. And, and so I, I, they invited me on. I went and... Uh, Oh, and, <laughs> and there's just a side note. They, they, like, the two days before, they call, and they're like, so we're going to send a car. It's, like, at 7 a.m. They're like, we're going to send a car and uh, to pick you up. Uh, you know, where should they come? And I'm like, fuck you and your blood money car. <laughs> and uh, so I said no to the car. And, it, it, like, there was this long pause, and then he was like, no one's ever turned down the car. <laughs> like, that was just outlandish. Uh, so, so I went to, to Fox News and, you know, I'm like in the belly of the beast and uh, I'm on their morning show and it's like Saturday morning. Like, I didn't think I was doing anything that special. Like, uh, it, it, you know, it's like 7 a.m. Saturday. It's not even the regular, like, Steve Douchey guy that's on. It's like some, you know, Jim Squarejaw hosting it or whatever. And, uh, and... It, I'm in the back room, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, keep my nerve because I feel like anytime some people are filming, you want to make everyone happy and, and you want to just do what they expected and everything. And so I'm, like, trying to keep my nerve that I'm going to say something, you know, more than just stupid jokes. And so there was going to be two segments uh, real quick, like one minute each. One was going to be making fun of Huckabee because he was still in it, and the other was going to be making fun of uh, Hillary. And so, oh, and by the way, back in the green room, there's... Three girls dressed in Star Trek bikinis in the tiny little green room, and that's it's like me and them. That's it. That's what Fox News has booked for this morning. <laughs> so I have no, I don't talk to them. I have no idea what the fuck they're doing there. But I go, I go on the show. The guy, the anchor man or whatever, like he walks in and he sits, and they have this weird square couch so that he's not even facing me. It's like we're facing at different angles, and he, you know, he's like, hey, and he sits down, and he starts facing this way, and I'm facing this way, and the right wing girl is on in like a satellite feed from L.A. So he does the first half with the Huckabee, and I tell stupid Huckabee jokes. And the reason I thought I'll tell the early jokes is because I figured, well, I'll, uh, I'll lull them into thinking I'm a good guy, and I'm going to go along with their shit. And so I tell the stupid Huckabee jokes. And then at the end of the Huckabee jokes, he goes, okay, well, thank you guys for being on. And then my hat is like, what? Fuck, no! Hey, hey, but I... Now I'm your monkey boy. Fuck you. You know, and, and I'm like, do I, you know, and at first my thought was, all right, well, I missed my chance. Maybe they'll have me back or something. And then I was like, no, this is it. This is my only fucking chance to do this. And so he's like, he's like, thank you guys for coming on. And I'm like, can, can I ask a question? And that's the weirdest thing. I don't know why I decided to put it that way. But he, he was like, well, I, okay. I don't, this has never happened before when, when we're saying goodbye or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> And so then I, I, you know, blurted out, like, I, I was like, what is Fox News anyway? It's a parade of propaganda and a festival of ignorance. And yeah. I, was, I was like, I was like, there's a million people dead in Iraq, and what are we talking about? I'm like, and I, I turned to the camera, like, people at home, turn this off. Go, do, do something with your lives, you know? 
live your life. And, and then the right wing girl starts trying to yell something, but it doesn't really come. And he, and he goes, uh, you, and, and this is what he comes up with, which I love. He goes, you, you can get all the news you can on Fox News. <laughs> That's true. It's very little, but it's all you can get. You're good. Uh, and, and so he goes, he goes, okay, that's it. And I thought we were off camera, so I stopped talking. I was like, uh, uh, but it turned out we weren't quite done yet. He meant that's it as in shut up. And he goes, so he introduces the next thing. And I hadn't even noticed this, but they were staging another shot off to our right. And he goes, so it's uh, Saturday. And, and you could tell he was dying to get to the next thing. It was like, let's move on. We'll move on to real news and we'll, we'll shut this guy up. And, you know, he was red and furious. And he, he goes, since it's Saturday and he starts reading the teleprompter and you can just see his heart sink and I didn't know right then what it was that he was so miserable about but he goes it's Saturday we're also having a little fun Jim tell us about getting girls the way Captain Kirk did <laughs> and they cut to these three girls in Star Trek bikinis and Jim is like, there's a new book out on how to get chicks the Captain Kirk way. I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, I, and so they cut out of the, you know, they go to commercial. I just, I don't even say a word to him. He's like red furious. I take off my mic. I, I walk out. I get to the back room where the, the you know, they always have like a bimbo co-host who like didn't make the final cut of American Idol. So now she's like reading the results of the G8 summit to the entire nation, even though they, she thinks G8's a vitamin. She's, she's back there and she, there's TVs everywhere. So she acts like she had watched it, but she hadn't. So she's like, great job. <laughs> You're wonderful. And, uh, and so I leave, you know, I got to take the subway. So I go out on the, and get in the subway and I find out later that the guy like staged a thing to act like he had kicked me out of the building. Like they cut back from the shot and he's like, got rid of that guy and had to throw him out. And the other guy goes, well, it just shows you can get every view possible here on Fox News. And I'm like, wait, you get every view possible and we throw opposing viewpoints out of the room. Uh, but so anyway, uh, I, I did that and I didn't think many people would really see it at 7 a.m. It's who watches Fox News at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And, uh, and you know, some people saw it, but then it like went viral online and got like a you know, couple million views or whatever. And, it, and I got emails, you know, of people who were really excited and really, you know, like, thank God you said this and like military veterans and all this cool stuff. But uh, that, those emails were actually quite boring. The ones that were interesting were the hate emails I got. <laughs> and so I wanted to quickly read a couple of these, because these are gems. These remind you that there are other, there's another side to being a hero. <laughs> Fuck you for what you said, you commie. You can suck my ball sack and get a haircut, you fag. <laughs> So I'm accused of being a fag and yet asked to suck his ball sack at the same time. He's also giving me haircut advice, which is odd for a homophobe, I think. The, the next one, and the, you know, uh, uh, grammar's not perfect among right-wing hate assholes. Uh, you should be drug in the streets, not drugged or dragged, but drug. You should be drug in the streets and beaten. Dot, 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 I will gladly do it. Thank God he volunteered because my rebuttal was going to be, who would you find to do such a thing? But he really crossed his T's and dotted his I's on that threat. He covered everything. Uh, you know, I was uh, f uh, fucking nerdy as they come in high school and like shy and like made fun of and stuff. And, you know, I think I thought that like when I became a comedian, like if I got on TV, I'd be, it would be like, ha ha, fuck you, high school kids. Look at me now. And I got an email from the girl I took to prom in <laughs> high school who said, hey, Lee, my mom called me today and she said she saw you on TV, but that you had long hair and a beard and said mean things to the newsman for no reason. <laughs> That's not true, is it? <laughs> Too bad things didn't work out between us. But... Uh, this one said, at least Hitler didn't sit on his hands. He got to killing his enemies, as America should, starting with traitors like you. You coward bastard. All you want to do is talk your bull asterisk, 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 asterisk. 
So he's gonna kill me, he's praising Hitler, but he self-censored the word shit. Because <laughs> that would be too far. It's also an interesting way to praise Hitler, because it wasn't like Hitler was a good man, it was just he didn't sit on his hands. So it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, you can call him a mass murderer, psychopath all you want, but I will not sit here while you call him lethargic. <laughs> You Democrats are all a bunch of communist carpet munchers, Muslims, and the rest of the traitors of this country. So piss off, you butt plug commie bastards. Go watch Dr. Phil and take your pills, you liberals. Don't you hate when you're trying to spew vitriol and you end up rhyming? Yeah. Go watch Dr. Phil and take your pills, you liberals. Ah, shit. And also, like, like carpet munchers? I don't even find that to be an insult. I, like, like how, do right-wingers never do anything unusual in the sack? It's just all missionary position holding a Bible like Chronicles of Narnia playing in the background. Oh. <laughs> Let's spice it up tonight, honey. I won't hold the Bible. And uh, besides the hate mail, well, so, so this was, you know, once this started going on, I like, I, it didn't occur to me, but I, I emailed like uh, my college agent, I have a college booking agent, it was like, hey, if you happen to get any weird stuff, just know that I was on Fox News and I said something and so some people are not liking me so much. And then I get an email back from her and she's like, oh, I got a phone call this morning at 6 a.m. and it just said, fuck you, you dirty kike. <laughs> Which is interesting on many levels. One, she had no idea I'd gone on Fox News, but also she's not Jewish, I am. And so, <laughs> that's gotta be a rude awakening at 6 a.m. But uh, thanks a lot, guys, you guys are great. Thank you. Julia and Lee, we appreciate it. I'm sure you guys are gonna have a lot more jokes for the rest of the campaign here, because oh, they just keep going. What? Can I, can I just ask a question? Sure. What, what is Fox News? It's just a parade of propaganda, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a festival of ignorance. What? Why, a million Fox people are dead in Iraq. Come on, this is ridiculous. What's the point of this? Um, this is insane. Well, I love, uh, go I out, love people Fox at home. News. Go outside. Go, go hug Lee, your children. You should be more. Well, Fox you News. Should be more worried. Love your family. You know, and you, you get all the news. Right. Fox, you get all the news you can at Fox News. All right, thanks. And guys. I think, oh, okay. All right, that's it. All right, we're also talking about Captain Kirk this morning. And hey, because it's Saturday morning, we're having some fun. Greg, you've got the cushiest job in the world. Yeah, look who just uh, beamed aboard right now. The ladies from the Starship Enterprise. Hello. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Okay, their friend Bones, you know him as Dr. McCoy, just wrote a new book on Captain Kirk and the way he was able to woo beautiful women like this. It's all coming up. Stay with us, please. <laughs> That insanity is a collaboration between the groups Do or Die and People Like Us. We're going to go out on The Strange Boys, reminding us all to be brave. Don't forget what this guy said about Risk. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain.
back, no choice to me. 